So, uh, anything exciting happening uh, since we last got together for a podcast? It seems like pretty boring <laughs> last uh, few days or so, right? Eh, well, it's taken a little while. I mean, I guess there were the regional rankings came out. Um, oh, you know, okay. There was an alphabetical order. There was a list. A list sh- showed up um, actually earlier than we expected, uh, which was interesting. But yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, that was about when it. you don't have to name nine teams in a region, uh, and you're supposed to probably, uh, it's a little quicker work than, uh, yeah. We'll talk about that in a little yeah, bit. You don't want to spend too much. You don't have to spend too much time on conference calls or anything. You just got to keep, you know, keep the ball rolling here. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, any any big football action? Should we just, like, not even do this show? Anything we should be covering, you think? I'm pretty sure that you were at a game that got national coverage on ESPN. Something kind of unique happened at the end. I'm pretty pretty sure that it was referred to as the miracle at Muhlenberg, although I imagine that the people in the homestands didn't quite care for that saying, but... It's kind of, you know, the M with the M, uh, M and M Halloween. Miracle in, Miracle at, we'll have to, uh, you know, narrow down which it is. I've got a confession to make. So this afternoon, I'm going through my Twitter stuff, and I see uh, something that looks a little changed because I've got a few things in the whole, you know, spam possibility thing or people you don't know uh, messages I don't always open. I'm like, this looks strange. So I go in, and there's... A new tweet or direct message, rather, from ESPN with a gold check mark from yesterday, from the day earlier, we'll call it. And I'm like, okay, this must be like those JetBlue accounts I was encountering that are the fake accounts trying to yeah. fish for information. No, this is the one with four and a half million followers uh, and asking if we the own the uh, video. Yeah, if we own the video and if uh, they could use it for their uh, digital platforms, which we had already granted on Saturday. But I'm like, yes and yes, and they uh, appreciated the response. But I'm like, you can't be serious. Cool. How many days later at that point, and they were still fishing for this um, clip of what happened in Muhlenberg. So this thing ain't going away anytime soon. Uh, this uh, play no. by Will Leger, uh as uh, we've uh, learned Leger. his name to be. Right. Yep. So uh, we're going to show it, uh, obviously, in the show, and a whole lot more from that game because that the game is not just one play. That game is a lot of plays. A lot of stuff happened yeah. in that game. And so we, we've got to really do it justice that way. So let's do it. Let's talk about it here in Season 16 of In the Huddle. Okay, JB, without using the words Hopkins or Muhlenberg, let's hear your 30,000-foot view of Week 9. Do you think you can do it without using those words? I'm going to try, Frank. And I guess the easiest way to start off would be to kind of continue on what we talked about on Friday with Coach DiDonato. And we were anticipating that Grove City would uh, clinch the pack championship. They did. So did Ithaca, as well as Wartburg and the ARC. So we've got three of the 28 automatic qualifiers 
in the tournament. The rest of the stuff that happened was a little bit of a separation Saturday, I guess you can say. We have a lot of uh, games coming up in Week 10 where there could be more conference champions and their tickets punched. There are some Pool C races that are kind of going on right now that are crazy. The game that won't be mentioned that we'll talk about later had an impact on that uh, as well. And um, unfortunately, Frank, there was also um, about four games that were canceled because of, uh, for some reason, these guys are out there running around shooting people. And I don't understand why. Um, it's, it's a real shame. I know that... Uh, Colby, Bates, and Bowden postponed uh, their games this past weekend because of the shooting incidents in Lewiston. There was an um, individual who was shot at, at Worcester State, so they had to postpone their game till Monday. Uh, and so it just, I don't know what's going on, man. It's, it's, not, it's not a good thing. We keep hearing this in the news all the time. But this is the first time in a while it's actually impacted the D3 football nation. And uh, hopefully this is the, the last time we'll hear about this for a while. Yeah, let's hope so. Indeed, a little bit of craziness in the world going on right now. But you still got us. Uh, we're crazy from day one, but in a whole different way here. Uh, we're going to talk about regional rankings uh, and uh, what they all meant, uh, the uh, alphabetical list of them uh, coming up soon, JVs, MVPs, and a whole lot more. So let's get started here. First things first, as always, it's time for crunch time for week number nine of the 2023 Division Three college football season. As is usual uh, these days, we're going to start in depth with a couple games here. First in Region 1, it's Merchant Marine at Springfield. In the first quarter, a minute 46 in, Blaine Hart gets a 68-yard touchdown run for Springfield. I'll speak slowly so you can appreciate the whole run as it's a 7-0 lead for the Pride. Then I will tell you that if you haven't gotten sick of Blaine Hart already, well here he is again, 28 yards for another touchdown in the second quarter. 14-0. That's Springfield's lead. Just before halftime, though, Merchant Marines Cesar Gonzalez gets a one-yard touchdown run to end a 21-play drive. Yes, 21 plays, 14-7. Springfield leads at halftime. Springfield would expand their lead a minute and nine seconds into the fourth quarter. Dante Vasquez, a five-yard touchdown run, makes it 21-7. But Merchant Marine would try mightily toward the end. 2.13 left fourth quarter, Talson Smith, the 70-yard touchdown pass from Ben Carney, makes it 21-14, still Springfield's advantage. And then you're going to see Arson Shetefan basically close it out with this 28-yard run for the first down to the 15-yard line. That would do it. The final score was 21-14 in favor of Springfield. Blaine Hart, five rushes, 119 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Talison Smith, five catches, 111 yards, one receiving touchdown. But JB, Springfield continues to roll. Ever since that Union game, yeah. they have just rolled and rolled here, and they look like a tough team to beat. Yeah, they really do. And they're, you know, it's guys like Hart and uh, Stefan and others that are just really getting that triple option going. The defense is tightened up and playing strong. Yeah, sure, you know, Tolson Smith had a few catches there. I think he, he, he had over 100 yards and a receiving touchdown, but you kind of expect that from a, a player like him. But it was a close game, exactly what we thought. And I think now, at this point, the Pride have a chance to clinch the new Mac this weekend. 
And even though for the Merchant Marine, they, you know, they came up a little short, they're still fighting for either potentially a New England or maybe an ECAC bowl bid, depending on how they finish up. Indeed. Let's go to Stevenson at Del Val, a big game in the MAC. And 47 seconds into the game, it looked like Del Val was going to roll. As Luan Avdijaj, I think is the correct pronunciation. I'll have to ask Gordon Mann uh, how to exactly say that. From, yeah, Louis Perio, 68 yard touchdown pass, 7 0. Luana, I'm sorry about that. Uh, we're going to go to the second quarter, 11.45 left, and Stevenson answers with Louis Closet, uh, I think it is, the 10-yard touchdown run, 7-7. Seven seven. Berrios in the second quarter, 6.46 left, though, gets a 3-yard uh, pass from Nick Arcaroli. Uh, so basically a little razzle-dazzle play there, 14-7 in favor of Delval. We're going to fast forward, though, to the fourth quarter. A minute six left, Stevenson equalizes. Kevin Smithson, a 70-yard touchdown pass from Nair Wilson, 14 apiece. Are we going overtime? 17 seconds later, uh, this is what happens, folks. Darius throws across the middle. He's got a man wide open, and it's Abdiya. He makes a man miss. He makes two men miss. He's gone. Lawan Abdiya. Touchdown. <laughs> Unbelievable! 21-14, Dalval leads with 14 seconds left. Uh, you're going to see this pass here as Nair uh, Wilson gets it to Pat Gorman down to the Delval 5, but there's going to be a false start foul assessed, so the 10-yard line. Here's first and 10, and it is incomplete. So Stevenson with one more chance to tie the game, second and 10. Nair Wilson's pass again, incomplete. The game is over. Delval wins this game 21 to 14. Barrios, 315 total yards, two passing touchdowns and an interception. Nair Wilson for Stevenson, one passing, one rushing touchdown. JB, cardiac kids. That's what they're becoming there at Delval. And the streak's alive at 51 straight Mac games now that they've won. Yeah, and Barrios is just real impressive. I mean, the, the, the way he's played these last couple of weeks to kind of bring his team back. Uh, when the streak looked like it was potentially, you know, at the end of the line, um, there were some defensive efforts, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, some players on the Delval defensive line who really came up big. It seemed like every time I was kind of flipping back and forth and tuning into this game, it looked like Stevenson was trying to get that score to either, you know, take the lead. But you know, there again, once again, the second week in a row, Barrios finds his man in the open field and. Just a, it's 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 a, it's been crazy there in Doylestown. Our friend Gordon Mann has been definitely having having some fun calls for sure. Well, let's keep going here. Uh, we're gonna go express for a couple of games. First, in the NESCAC, Tufts at Hamilton. Second quarter, two fourteen left for Tufts. Jaden Richardson, a sixty-three yard touchdown pass from Michael Berludi, made it seventeen to zero Tufts. Okay, that should be all. It's an express clip. Well, wait a minute. We're gonna give you a little bit more than express here. Fourth quarter, 6.06 left. Hamilton gets a touchdown uh, based on a blocked punt that was recovered by Chester Boynton in the end zone. 17-14 at that point. Hamilton coming back. Three seconds left in the fourth quarter. Here's Ben Waterman's 29-yard field goal to tie the game. 17 apiece. The teams traded touchdowns and extra points in the first overtime, touchdowns and two-point conversions in the second overtime, and they both missed their two-point conversions in the third overtime. Let's go to the fourth overtime. You heard me right, folks. 
You're going to see here first that Hamilton gets their two-point conversion in the fourth overtime as Jack Hogue's rush attempt was good. So Tufts had to respond, and Chartellis Reese gets his uh, rush attempt to tie the game, and we will continue to a fifth overtime. So in the fifth overtime, Matt Banbury's rush attempt was good for Hamilton, and that gave Hamilton a 36-34 lead. Could Tufts respond? Michael Berluti's pass attempt to Cade Moore was no good. And in five overtimes, Hamilton beat Tufts 36-34. Berluti, 258 total yards, two passing, one rushing touchdowns. Hamilton's defense and special teams, they had a punt block for touchdown. And Ezra Lombardi from Hamilton, two receiving touchdowns in that game. We'll also stay expressed for Mass Dartmouth at Bridgewater State. And in the first quarter, four minutes into the game, Thomas Zednick gets a 17-yard pass from Dante Villasantos, who promised me he'd win the game to help me in our little bit of uh, picks race we've got going on, JB. 7-0, Matt Startman. Second quarter, halfway through, Angel Sanchez gets a two-yard touchdown pass from Villasantos. 20-0, Matt Startman led. Bridgewater State tried to make a game of it, 3.55 left third quarter. Adam Couch gets a two-yard touchdown run to make it a 20-14 game. Fourth quarter, though, 8.44 left. It's Jalen Aponte with a three-yard touchdown run, 28-14 in favor of Mass Dartmouth. Final score, 34-14 Mass Dartmouth. Avila Santos, 165 total yards, two passing touchdowns and an interception. Eric Couch, 13 rushes, 75 yards, two rushing touchdowns. JB, there's a race brewing in the MassCAC, and how it's going to figure itself out, I don't know. And I think a lot of people are wondering that. But what else do you have for us in Region 1? Well, part of the reason of that um, potential three-way tiebreaker is the fact that Westcon, whose game was postponed, and it's not on the slide, but they did win 58-10 to at Worcester State on Monday. And so you've got... Bridgewater State with one loss, UMass Dartmouth with one loss, and Westcom with one loss, all with you know wins and losses to each other. So it's a kind of an interesting uh, complete circle here, and uh, we'll have to we'll have to dig up the MassCAC tiebreaker rules to see how things shake out. But elsewhere, Endicott holds off Husson, Plymouth State nips uh, Westfield 20 to 19, Framingham wins 28 to three. Uh, Anna Maria with a big win over Gallaudet. The ECFC race, to me, Frank, is up in the air. I had a fan actually uh, DM and ask me if, if they have an automatic qualifier, and yes, folks, the ECFC still has one, so uh, someone from, from that league is going to the playoffs. Maybe it'll be the AMCATs, we'll see. Misericordia and MIT win, as well as uh, Curry hangs on to a 48-46 to close call over Nichols. Wesleyan, um, in one of the few uh, other NASCAT games that happened due to the, the postponements that will be replayed on November 18th, by the way. Um, Wesleyan wins 34-7. FDU Forum hangs on to beat Eastern 24-19. WNE takes care of UNE, which actually was good news for Endicott fans. More on that in a little bit. Uh, Laval takes care of Alvernia 34-26. Widener wins 31-14. Salve wins 27-24. A lot of close games in Region 1, Frank. And then SUNY Maritime, 24-21. Another three-pointer. Dean hangs on 19-18. A lot of close calls here in Region 1. Indeed, and uh, despite uh, what led to the uh, postponements of those games in the NESCAC, one wonders if they can play on November 18th yeah. on a few of those games. Why not join the bowl fray at the very least, if not a playoff fray? in the NESCAC. It's something to think about here. We've been saying for years, I hate to see it led by this, you know, chain of events that occurred, but 
something to think about there uh, as the NESCAC went from eight games to nine games. Let's see what else might happen down the line, ultimately. Let's go to Region 2, the game. Hopkins, Muhlenberg. Here we go, first quarter, five minutes into it. Will Leger is juggling seven-yard touchdown pass from Bay Harvey in the back of the end zone, made it 7-0, Hopkins. We'll go to the second quarter, 13 minutes left in that second quarter. Spencer Ugla, the five-yard touchdown run, gives his team a 14-0 lead, but hold on. 9-28 left, second quarter, Joe Rapetti, a six-yard touchdown run, 14-7, Hopkins leading. Four minutes later, Rapetti does it again, 14 apiece. It is going to be a tie game at halftime between the teams. Then watch what happens here early in the third quarter. With Muhlenberg in the red zone, Joe Rapetti is intercepted by Oliver Craddock in the end zone and uh, returns it nine yards to uh, Hopkins nine. But two plays later, bad snap, and it's recovered by Muhlenberg. It looks like it's Tyler Ekstrom with that recovery. Again, though, two plays later with Muhlenberg in the red zone, Joe Rapetti intercepted by Cole Peters at the two-yard line. So Hopkins thwarts two red zone attempts by Muhlenberg with those uh, flip-flops of possessions. We'll go to the third quarter, 6.06 left. Bay Harvey, a six-yard touchdown run, gives Hopkins back the lead, 21-14. Five minutes later, it's Will Leger again, this time with a hop, skip, and a jump, as we said on Twitter. A 27-yard touchdown pass from Harvey made it 28-14 in favor of Hopkins. But hold on, stop me if you've heard that before, as it was Ian Sidzik with a, th a three-yard touchdown pass from Joe Rapetti with 6-10 left in the fourth quarter to make it a seven-point game, 28-21, Hopkins. The sacking occurs, the ball comes back to Muhlenberg in good field position with 2.43 left, Timothy Buda, a 24-yard touchdown pass from Joe Rapetti ties the game. Muhlenberg would get a chance as Bay Harvey is intercepted with very little time left in this game by Owen Kovacs, and he brings it back to the Muhlenberg 34-yard line, but two plays later, Joe Rapetti is intercepted by Luca Lutzel, and this gives Hopkins the final chance. With Bay Harvey's legs, they get it into field goal range. The 31-yard field goal is blocked by basically the body of Will Leger. He turns the corner, nobody's there for anybody from Muhlenberg, he goes in the end zone untouched, no time left on the clock, and Johns Hopkins wins the game. 34-28 by Will Leger's fast thinking and an incredible turn of events. Leger, seven catches, 81 yards, two receiving touchdowns, and the game-winning touchdown on special teams. Joe Rapetti, 362 total yards, two passing, two rushing touchdowns, but three interceptions were his bugaboo on Saturday. JB, have you seen anything like it? No, and I, I know that we, you know, we heard you know, throughout the last couple of days that there were similar endings to games in the playoffs from 20 years ago and stuff like that. But it just feels like, with um, just the fact that you were there, modern day technology, the live video shot as it unfolded, it kind of blew up on social media. It just seemed like a, a, you know, I'd never seen anything like that happen in person or live. So I, I was stunned. I mean, some people were like. You know, was that an intentional thing? Did he try to kick the ball to you know to the to the guy? Of course, that didn't really happen. There was you know controversy about the air horn, you know that whole thing, blah blah blah. But end of day, you got to see an all-time classic, and you were in the right spot at the right time to get it all on video. And um, you know, we've seen some some amazing finishes over the last 15 years here on in the huddle, but. 
that one has to rank up there. If not the all time, it's it's like one B or something. I, I it's hard to to remember something like that. And the implications were huge, and we'll talk about some of that coming up uh, in terms of what it does to regional rankings. Ultimately, stay tuned for that as we continue here and we go in depth again actually we're going to express for the rest of these case at uh, w and j first off second quarter 915 left w and j's punt is blocked and returned five yards by kobe de rosa for a touchdown to make it 24 to 7 in favor of w and j but case comes back third quarter 11:30 left ethan uh, deline a seven yard touchdown pass from alex fromberg gets them within 24 to 20 but WJ would push them back again. Fourth quarter, nine seconds into it, Jacob McCosco, excuse me, a 47-yard touchdown pass from Jacob Pugh makes it 38 to 20 WJ. And then eight minutes later, Case tries again. Gage Dusler, a three-yard touchdown run, 38-33. What happens ultimately though? A fourth and 13 attempt by Case. Alex Fromberg incomplete, looking for Noah Coyne with 111 left. That meant that WJ could run out the clock and win the game 38-33. Jacob Pugh, 292 total yards for WJ, three passing, one rushing touchdown, and Noah Coyne for Case, nine receptions, 258 yards, three receiving touchdowns. We'll also tell you briefly about TCNJ at Salisbury. We're gonna just stay in the second quarter here. A minute four into it, Thomas Burke, a 35-yard touchdown pass from Trevor Pop, made it 13-7 in favor of TCNJ. Salisbury bounces back as Joey builds scene. It's a four-yard touchdown run with 8.20 left in the second quarter. 14-13, Salisbury led the game. 4.09 left, though. TCNJ's Jason Schmidt, a three-yard touchdown run, made it 21-14 in favor of TCNJ. And just before halftime, 41 seconds left, TCNJ's Thomas Burke gets a 13-yard touchdown pass from Trevor Bopp to make it 27-14. That was a 20-point second quarter for TCNJ, and they never looked back. They won the game 36-27. Bopp, 22 for 36, 239 yards, four passing touchdowns. Bildstein for Salisbury, 23 rushes, 126 yards, and two rushing touchdowns. Muhlenberg kind of needed Salisbury to win that game to maybe have an additional ranked opponent yeah. later on, although we may needed may have needed to go nine deep for that to even happen with that you know, win if they had yeah. gotten it. Now that all bets are off here, Muhlenberg's in trouble because of teams like Salisbury not delivering on their schedule for regionally ranked opponents. What else do you have in Region 2? Well, not surprising, we saw a lot of the favorites uh, win from the top 25, Susquehanna, Ithaca, they clinched the Liberty League. Cortland had a record-setting day with 73 points and a blowout of Hartwick. Uh, Grove City clinched the pack with a 56-14 win over Bethany. This Catholic-Keystone game was a lot closer than those numbers may, may say, because the Giants were in the lead here. And for a new program, they're they're getting competitive fast. So even though they came up short, it's still they're 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 on their way. RPI takes care of Rochester, 49 to 10. St. John Fisher does the same to Alfred, 30 to 12. Waynesburg and Lyon um, win. Hilbert being a sort of a, a, a region two, but still independent. Um, but the, they're a new program. They'll they'll get their first win eventually. Allegheny beats Teal, 27 to three. Also in the pack, a close call for the. Titans of Westminster 22 to 20 over St. Vincent. Hobart blank St. Lawrence 35 nothing. Franklin Marshall takes care of Kane 40 to 14. I think Kane is on their way to potentially a winless season. Frank, it's been an interesting um, situation there in, in Jersey. Not sure what's going on, but it's unfortunate. 
Christopher Newport stays in the Injack lead, 33 to 13. Lyco wins 56 to 10. Your Sinus wins big, 49 to 6. Dickinson edges Gettysburg in a closer call than many might have predicted, 28 to 25. Brockport with over 400 yards of offense holds Utica to almost like 30 or 40. It was a, it was a very lopsided game. The Golden Eagles seem to be peaking just in time for their big weekend and this basically Empire 8 championship game coming up on Saturday. And then finally in the nightcap, Rowan wins the New Jersey Bowl and against their rival uh, Montclair State 21 to 14. That's going to be a big game, that Cortland-Brockport game in Cortland. And uh, I think I might be uh, taking a little trip to uh, the uh, southern tier of New York for that game coming up Saturday. Just thinking out loud right. there. Let's go to Region 3 in depth. And uh, any week where you have a UMHB game at Hardin-Simmons and it's not your top story, would tell you what kind of week it was. But this was still a big game here, folks. 3.38 left first quarter. Mary Harden-Baylor's Isaac Faye gets a five-yard touchdown run to make it 7-0 UMHB. A field goal would make it 7-3, though, their lead at halftime as uh, Harden-Simmons fought back a little bit there. But let's go to the uh, second half. Fourth and ten play here, and Cody Harrell's uh, punt by Harden-Simmons is uh, basically muffed here by Kenneth Miller Jr. and recovered by Dekedris Bedford at the UMHB two-yard line. Three plays later, 8.50 left third quarter, Colton Marshall gets a one-yard touchdown run and gives Harden-Simmons the lead, 10-7. Noah Garcia would extend that lead with 4.01 left in the third quarter with a five-yard touchdown run to make it 17-7 Harden-Simmons, and then they'd continue to pile it on. Fourth quarter, 25 seconds into it, Colton Marshall again. A two-yard touchdown run, 24-7 Harden-Simmons. Was this their day finally? Well. Three minutes later, Isaac Fay gets his own four-yard touchdown run, make it 24-14 Harden-Simmons. But you'll see here, he is later intercepted by Brock Bujnok, and it is going to basically be the end of the game by that happening. You'll see the celebration here as Harden-Simmons beats UMHB 24-14. Noah Garcia, 19 rushes, 124 yards, one rushing touchdown for Harden-Simmons. Isaac Fay for UMHB, 25 for 36. 233 yards, two rushing touchdowns, and an interception. You picked it. It happened finally. You can actually show your face in Abilene there, JB. What'd you think of this one? Well, I'm happy for guys like Miguel Valdez and, and the Cowboys players who've waited a long time through COVID and all the other ups and downs, the, the really just gut punch losses that they've suffered at the hands of the Crusaders. and. You know, well, on one hand, it's, uh, it's it was a great thing for Harden Simmons. They're in the catbird seat of the ASC. It was kind of a, a bit of a, a downer for other teams across the nation that kind of needed UMHB to stay um, up. And th that loss is going to take uh, some quality wins off the board for teams that may otherwise uh, could use them for seeding and other purposes. So that was kind of a double whammy there. And you, know, you have to feel happy for the Cowboys. First time since 2015. I think it's like this only the second time in 20 some years that they've been able to, to pull it off. Um, you've you've seen this this game live and you know how deep this this rivalry goes. Um, so I'm happy for them, but it did cause a little bit of a, a ripple that will definitely impact the rest of the nation. Let's stay in depth if you want to talk about ripples here. Bell Haven at Merrillville. And with 9.13 left in the second quarter, it's Maryville's Steph Carter Jr. getting a three-yard touchdown pass from Bryson Rollins to make it 7-0 early in favor of Maryville. Early in the fourth quarter, 
Uh, you're going to see this field goal attempt by Trey Hampton as they try to take a 10-0 lead. No good from 21 yards out. My goodness, with 12.02 left, still a chance for Bellhaven. A minute 38 left in regulation. Kobe Blunt, a four-yard touchdown run, made it 7-7, and we would go to overtime. In the overtime, first half of it, it's Merrillville's ball. Bryson Rollins' two-yard touchdown run made it 14-7 in favor of Merrillville. And then look what happens here. This is unusual, folks, as Mike uh, Bethia gets this 78-yard interception return for a touchdown. And it does count. Uh, most players would just go down at that point and take the win. But they win in overtime by 13 points, 20-7 Merrillville. Bryson Rollins, 234 total yards, one passing, one rushing touchdown. Colby Blunt for Bellhaven, 14 rushes, 42 yards, one rushing touchdown. But JB, uh, we thought Bellhaven was rolling to an undefeated season. Really, only Brevard was standing in their way of it, we thought. And all of a sudden, a train wreck. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, too, that they actually got that extra touchdown off, like, the pick six, really, with all they needed was was one score to wrap it up. But, you know, at the end of the day, though, uh, Blazers fans can have some hope in that, ironically, Brevard, who's still undefeated in the conference, has to play Huntington and Bellhaven. So Bellhaven still kind of controls their destiny. Huntington wants to see the Blazers trip it up to create some type of uh, tiebreaker situation. So even though this was a tough loss, it could be one that the Blazers use to help them you know, finish up the season. But the chances of them you know, being sent on the road now in round one of the playoffs, if they do clinch the USA South, just went, went up because of this loss. Instead of going to Express, we're going to go Super Express for two games here because unfortunately we were not able to secure video clips in time. So we're going to just show you the scoreboard. Washington Lee fell to Randolph-Macon 35-12. to Nick Hale for Randolph-Macon, 18 rushes, 76 yards, three rushing touchdowns. Steven Mirren for Washington Lee had 201 total yards, one passing touchdown, but RMC much the better in that game. And Howard Payne bounces back. Beats Texas Lutheran 31-27 as Landon McKinney gets a 34 for 45 day, 450 yards, four touchdowns, uh, three of them in the air in an interception. And Mr. Basenko uh, gets a 25 for 36 day, 293 yards, one passing, one rushing touchdown yeah. in an interception. So Region 3 kind of shaping up in ways that we expected in some places, like the ASC, except the team that's at the very top of it is not the perennial. It's going to be Harden-Simmons instead of Mary Harden-Baylor, but they're, they're always the two teams that are usually yes. up there, so not much surprise there. But then you look at the SAA, can Barry get in? We'll talk about them in a second here. And you look at the USA South, we don't know who the heck's getting in from there at this point. A very unusual-looking Region 3 right now for us. Yeah, and pretty much when you look at the other scores that happened on Saturday, very lopsided across the board. You know, Trinity, Barry, Greensboro, Hampton-Sydney, Shenandoah, all putting up a lot of points, winning pretty comfortably. Same thing with Bridgewater, um, and they showed up on the rankings, which was interesting. Uh, there is this new Chesapeake Bowl challenge between the ODAC and Landmark, so even if Bridgewater can't make it into the playoffs, they, they've got some postseason bowl possibilities there. Uh, Rhodes win. 34 to 8. You got uh, Center winning big 54 22. McBurney 51 13. ETBU 21 to 10. That was one of the close games uh, by a couple touchdowns. Brevard hanging on you know, here 30 to 20, and they are the undefeated team in the USA South, but like I said, they have to go 
through the two other top contenders. If the Tornadoes can pull it off, they go to the playoffs, but if they lose, things get interesting. And finally, NC Wesleyan won 27-3. Lots of uh, lopsided games in Region 3. And just to be clear, Bellhaven has one extra game because of the uh, shortened round robin they do in the USA South. And because of the way they do it, they have to give one team an extra game. Bellhaven got that extra game. And so their winning percentage could be higher than other teams with one loss ultimately. So consider that as we progress toward a potential tie if they can beat Brevard or Brevard loses perhaps uh, to Huntington. Well, I, I, you got to assume that I guess either way at this point, but just watch how that starts to form, and we'll talk more about it as it does. Regions 4 yep. through 6, here we go, in depth. Central at Wartburg. Halfway through the first quarter, Central's Ryan New gets a 9-yard touchdown pass from Hunter Hoffman to tie the game at 7 apiece. Then 7-31 and 31 left in the second quarter, Wartburg's Thor Makestead gets a 14-yard touchdown pass from Niall McLaughlin to give Wartburg a 17-7 lead. We'll fast forward to the fourth quarter. 9-31 left in Turo. Hunter Clausen, 20-yard touchdown run, 24-7, Wartburg leads. Central tries here toward the end, six minutes left. It's Jeff Herbers with a 17-yard touchdown pass from Hoffman. 24-14, Wartburg's lead, but then Wartburg ran 12 plays over six minutes and two seconds to expire the clock. They win the ARC by getting a 24-14 win over Central. Clawson, 34 rushes, 202 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Hunter Hoffman for Central, 34 for 47, 267 yards, two passing touchdowns and an interception. Just couldn't find the end zone, really. Hoffman had a good day for Central, but just not enough yeah. in terms of the points. And now it's Wartburg's crown. They haven't looked pristine this season, but they still are undefeated. Yeah, but their defense seems to be a little bit stronger than they were last year. You're not seeing a lot of these shootout games that they've been in. So, And if they can really lean on a guy like Turbo, uh, 34 carries, 200 yards, I mean, that's how you shorten games, and, and if the defense led by Owen Grover can keep these scores down, I mean, Central's a good team, a good offense, and so holding them to 14 points is, is pretty respectable. But we're not seeing the kind of uh, higher scoring uh, Knights offense like we did last year. Let's stay in depth, and we're going to go to the Mayak as Gustavus Adolphus faces St. Olaf. At halftime, it was 17-13 St. Olaf, so we'll go to the third quarter, 3.31 left. St. Olaf's Derek Hansen gets a 15-yard touchdown pass from Theo Doran to make it 24-20 in favor of St. Olaf. Fourth quarter, 10.51 left, St. Olaf's Derek Hansen gets a 26-yard touchdown pass from Doran again. 31-20, St. Olaf leads the game. So then we'll go fourth quarter, 10.08 left, and Gustavus Adolphus' Matthew Carrion, a 47-yard touchdown pass from George Sandvin, gets a closer, 31-26, still St. Olaf's lead. 20 seconds left, again, <laughs> matching pairs here. Matthew Carrion, a 7-yard touchdown pass from George Sandvin, gives his team a 34-31 lead. St. Olaf, though, is able to charge down the field, and Colin Swan's 34-yard field goal is good. We go to overtime, tied at 34. Kirian gets a 25-yard touchdown pass on the first play of overtime for Gustavus Adolphus from Sandvin. 41-34 in favor of Gustavus Adolphus. St. Olaf, though, does respond. Jordan Embry, a 5-yard touchdown run, makes it 41-40. 
they go for two. Overtime. Doran throws, shot, catch, goal line, reaches forward. He does not get there. He had the ball at around the one, was spun around, was trying to reach, and just could not extend the football. Gustavus Adolphus survives in overtime 41 to 40. Sandvin, 23 for 37, 309 yards, four passing touchdowns and an interception. Theo Duran, 27 for 41, 335 yards, also four passing touchdowns and an interception. JB, just when you thought you knew everything you needed to know about the Mayak and everything, that was almost a killer there for Gustavus Adolphus. It really was, but I, you just have to be impressed with the talent that these uh, conferences have with, with the quarterback position. I mean, Sandvin throwing for 300 yards, four passing touchdowns. Duran you know, basically had the same numbers almost, but he, he threw an interception. But, I mean, just the, the offensive firepower that you see in the Mayak is something else. So, um, great Great game, you know, close close call there for uh, for the for the Gusties, I guess, and uh, they, they hang on by one. We're gonna go express for three games that are close out regions four through six. First, Carroll at Carthage, third quarter, 8:51 left. Carroll's J.R. Muth, an 18-yard touchdown pass from Josh Raby, made it 27 to 15. At one point, Carroll was actually up 15 points in this game, but now it's a 12-point lead. Third quarter, 32 seconds left. Carthage's Bryce Frank, a three-yard touchdown pass from Bryce Lowe. Made it 27-22, uh, so Carthage coming back, and they would complete that comeback. Fourth quarter, 128 left. Jordan Wiles, a 27-yard touchdown pass from Bryce Lowe, made it 30-27 in favor of Carthage. We'll go to a fourth and five play as Josh Raby tries to get that first down, and he is one yard short, and that would do it. Great try, but just short as Carthage wins 30-27 over Carroll, Bryce Lowe. 30 for 41, 222 yards, four passing touchdowns, and Carthage wins back the old musket trophy in this game. Let's go to Wisconsin as UW River Falls takes on UW Stout. And we're tied at 28 deep into the third quarter in this game. 237 left in that third quarter. Caleb Laha, a two-yard touchdown run, made it 35-28 River Falls. Then we're going to do it again. Fourth quarter, 907 left. Caleb Laha, a one-yard touchdown run. Made it 42-28 in favor of River Falls. They would uh, get a response from Stout, but there it is again. 646 left fourth quarter. Caleb Laha, a 65-yard touchdown run. Made it 49-35 in favor of River Falls. That was the final, 49-35 over Stout. Blaha, 535 total yards. One passing and six rushing touchdowns. Mitch Wachter from Stout, 25 for 47. 289 yards, two passing touchdowns, and an interception. Finally here, it's Chapman at Claremont Mud Scripps. CMS, three minutes into the second quarter, takes a 7-0 lead as Daniel Rosenberg gets a seven-yard touchdown pass for Walter Keelenkamp to make it 7-0, as I said. A field goal early in the fourth made it 10-0 CMS. So Chapman trying to come back here late. Five minutes into the fourth quarter, Jean Lagerman, a 23-yard touchdown pass from Luke Peterman. 10-7, CMS still leading but clinging to that lead now. But six minutes later, Chapman's Luke Peterman, a one-yard touchdown run, made it 14-10 in favor of Chapman. Fourth and goal at the end of the game from the Chapman five. Go, Go action. Cool, get past Luke! 
Here he goes, and he stops short. A heartbreaker for the Stags. CMS as Walter Kielenkamp rushes for four yards to the one yard line. It is not enough, obviously. He needed the goal line. Chapman wins 14 to 10. What a heartbreaker for CMS. Wow. Peterman, 153 total yards, one passing, one rushing touchdown. Kielenkamp for CMS, 205 total yards, one passing touchdown. Two cases there of one yard too short in the expresses we just showed. And it, you know, breaks the heart of the teams that can't get the yard, but the defenses hold up in each case there, JB. Here's regions four through six with you. Yeah, well, the top 25 teams all won pretty comfortably. So just to rattle them off, North Park, Mount Union, La Crosse, Whitewater, Linfield, Wheaton, John Carroll. When you jump to the next slide, we got Aurora winning 77 to 10. Alma won 41 to 20. St. John's wins 62 to seven. DePaul um, in the lead here with the um, you know, NCAC wins 58 to seven. But, and the reason why I think this is highlighted, Wabash beating Wittenberg the way they did. And remember, even though they did have that setback with, with Denison, Wabash can still win the conference, I believe, if they can get a win over DePaul. And with that head-to-head, -head, um, would, would give them a loss. Wabash only has one loss in conference. So the Little Giants still can kind of control their destiny there. Elsewhere, <coughs> Ohio Wesleyan, Hope, Greenville, and Baldwin-Wallace all win pretty comfortably. Mount St. Joe's. I almost thought about giving Josh Taylor the offensive MVP. He had five putt passing touchdowns, but this was kind of a blowout, not as competitive. Uh, the, the Lions are going to do something and probably win their conference, but uh, we'll have more on Josh Taylor soon, I'm pretty sure. Defiance and Bluffton win, as well as Worcester, Wooster, uh, 47 to 14. I know that's the Massachusetts version. I'm just having some fun there. Marietta continuing to have a great season. It's kind of a shame that there isn't like a, an OAC MIAE bowl or something going on because the Pioneers have really had a great season. It's a shame that they uh, might have to pack it up after week 11. But um, they win 21 to 17 over Ohio Northern. Rolls Holman wins 44 39 in a close one over Hanover. Northwestern uh, wins 21-14 over Martin Luther. It seems like they are potentially going to repeat as the UMAC champs. We'll have to wait and see. Wash U with a 66-0 win. St. Norbert wins big, as does Monmouth. Bethel takes care of Carlton. We thought that game might be close. It was not. Um, the Royals looked really strong, and maybe they're trying to you know, pad their Pool C resume, as we'll talk a little bit more on that soon. Loris wins uh, over Buena Vista, 49-21. Chicago with a win, 55-12. Coe wins big, 64-2. Augustana still there, uh, trying to punch their ticket to the Isthmus Bowl, potentially. They're, they're still in prime position, depending on how it goes with Wheaton and Pool C. But uh, they, Augustana's kind of saying, hey, maybe we're a Pool C candidate too. You never know. 44-14 there. Hamlin wins 38-27. Cornell takes care of Knox, 28-21. Illinois College, 93-zip. Um, that's a lot of points. I think it's tied for the most of the season. And the Blue Boys only have one loss in the Midwest. Um, they, they're putting up a lot of points lately. Concordia, Wisconsin, 35-21. Concordia, Moorhead wins 30-10. Lake Forest gets back on the, on the winning ways, 41 to nothing of the shutout. They still have a chance to win their conference, even with the, this, the drop back with um, 
with Ripon the other week, so keep we'll have to keep an eye on the Midwest there, see what see how that shakes out. Minnesota Morris, another team in the UMAC that's, that's fighting for the crown. Now they beat Crown 56 to 23. How about that? Uh, Benedictine takes care of Wisconsin Lutheran 34-24. Oshkosh wins big 66-28 over Stevens Point. Albion takes care of Adrian 34-21. And then out in the Northwest, Whitworth, Puget Sound, George Fox uh, also win um, their games. We've got Simpson uh, coming up a little short to Dubuque 45-21 in one of the later games from the Midwest. And then out on the West Coast, Pomona Pitzer takes care of Cal Lutheran 38-24. Laverne drops a 12-40 game to Redlands in Southern California. And that is crunch time for week nine of the 2023 Division Three college football season. JB, let's uh, keep you talking, I guess, about your MVPs for week nine. I, you saw fit to give it to Will Leger guy. I don't know why. What, what did he do for this weekend? Uh, anything exciting? Just had probably the biggest play that we've seen in the last couple of decades. So, yeah, Will Leger, not only did he have seven receptions and score a couple of touchdowns through the air, he had the, the game-winning play that kind of saved uh, Hopkins' season and, and kind of just shook up the whole thing. I mean, we've been talking about, well, you have been talking about how Hopkins could be a potential number one seed. And that win, um, which was a kind of a miracle in its own right, um, may have clinched that potentially. I mean, that was a huge heads-up play by him. And so congratulations, special team player of, uh, you know, of the year. Um, you know, that's, a, that's like an All-American play right there. Um, going to the right here, though, we talk a lot about Louis Barrios and sort of this cardiac you know, kid thing with the Aggies. But the main reason why they really won that game was the defensive effort that guys like Jaquez Maven put forth. He had 11 tackles, four tackles for loss, and one and a half sacks in that big win for DelVal. Um, he's falling in the footsteps of a lot of great uh, defensive end and, and tackle players for the Aggies. And so he was my defensive MVP of the week. And then, yeah, as I said before, um, this could have easily have been Josh Taylor with eight touchdowns. But when you think about the significance and how River Falls is now hanging on for dear life here um, for their playoff hopes, um, you know, given everything that's sort of shaken out here. Uh, Caleb Blaha has six rushing and one uh, passing touchdown, 535 total yards. Uh, seemed like it was more than enough to win my Offensive MVP of the Week award. Yeah, with uh, UMHB falling off uh, what probably would have been a yeah. trip onto the regional rankings, now they must beat lacrosse, I think, to be able to secure anything here, uh, either outright uh, WEAC title, I said WEAC, or a pool C bid if yeah. something weird happens with the uh, tiebreakers, etc. But they would control a three-way tiebreaker between Whitewater, lacrosse, and themselves. So uh, it's the Rose Bowl yeah. rule, folks. Uh, speaking of tiebreakers, we don't need one for you and me right now, as you took back a two-game lead. Mm. Uh, Ten and two for the week, eight and four for me. Uh, you know, it kind of turned on that CMS game, did it not? Did you pick Chapman in that thing? I'm trying to remember uh, what happened. No, here. I, I no, I did not. We both we both uh, lost on that one. Really, the biggest difference is I think you had Stevenson when I had Delval. Uh, I had yeah. Harden Baylor or Harden Baylor, Harden Simmons. And Simmons. <laughs> and you, yeah, you had Mary Harden Baylor. Yeah, I didn't even get that right. So though it it was both games came down to basically the final. You know. They were very close games. I mean, the Stevenson Delval was kind of a final possession situation. Could have gone either way. I just happened to get a little lucky. Uh, you also had Muhlenberg 
uh, losing uh, to Johns Hopkins, if I remember correctly. And no, I, I picked Hop. That you, you, uh, yeah, you, you so, picked Muhlenberg, and 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 you heard about it from yeah. the Hopkins fans, didn't you? <laughs> certainly did. Uh, certainly did. But I did get UMD back, uh, so that, that's why you got three that's pluses. Right. I got one plus that uh, canceled out the two right yeah. there. Okay, uh, let's yeah. let's look at what's left undefeated here real quick, and you're going to see nothing in Region 1, three teams in Region 2, Susquehanna, Grove City, and Johns Hopkins. Randolph making the lone undefeated in Region 3. Region 4 has three teams still. Mm-hmm. Kind of surprising to some people that Alma, DePaul, yeah. and Mount Union all undefeated still there. Region 5 also uh, three teams. North Central, you'd expect. Wartburg, you'd expect. Aurora, hanging tough, 7-0. and And yeah. then Region 6, uh, you have Linfield and Whitworth uh, as well. Uh, actually, I, numbers I'm looking at, we got to update our uh, win losses on those. Uh, but I, I think Rory's eight and zero. Actually, it's Linfield Whit- Whitworth, maybe the same. Either way, they are undefeated, okay. uh, and we'll update those for the on screen. Okay, so regional rankings. What does it mean? We're gonna go about ten minutes here and try to go down that road for you folks before we run out of voice uh, on this whole thing. Region 1, uh, JB, I'll uh, run down the teams, then I'll ask you for your surprises or concerns, because again, we don't know how they're ordered. This is only alphabetical, folks. We do inc- include the strength of schedule numbers from uh, d3football.com uh, next to uh, each of these teams, so you can kind of see what's going on, what might be happening here. But you see DelVal mm-hmm. and Decat, that's not surprising. But Kings and Stevenson are both in here. You've got three teams in the MAC that are ranked. Then yep. Merchant Marine, Salve Regina, and Springfield, three teams in the new MAC ranked. Yeah. Nothing in the MASCAC. I missed that. And yeah. yeah, nothing in the MASCAC and just one in the CCC. So you've got three teams and three teams, one team and no teams for the four rankable conferences there. Interesting way of handling it when you have a team with one loss in the MASCAC. Actually, two teams, I believe, one loss right now in the mask. And uh, just one, just one, yeah. I think it is. E- either way, you know you have UMD, but not there, not ranked, because of how bad their strength of schedule is, I'm guessing. Well, I mean, they're, they, I think they also lost to WestCon. So, I mean, the, the, the Wolves can make an argument, too. I mean, there are the three, there is the three teams in the, in the MASCAC that will have to kind of figure out that whole deal. But basically, this, this region, Frank, set a precedent, which you'll see throughout the rest of these slides, is that the, the racks basically went with what I'll call chalk. And I tweeted about it earlier today. I did notice that there were three MAC teams. It kind of slipped my mind that there was also three new MAC teams because obviously Salve is in, in the new MAC. Um, They're not in the CCC anymore. Uh, but it just seems like that was kind of a, a thing that a lot of the racks followed. They kept the, the favorite conferences well represented. And yeah, Kings with a 500 strength of schedule and a six and two record was a little bit of a head scratcher. But hey, you know, at the end of the day, in the big picture, look at uh, Springfield's strength of schedule. If there's a number one team in Region 1, it's going to be them. Um, Endicott probably not far behind as well, given who they played and how they performed. They beat Harden-Simmons, who's looking like they're going to be a uh, conference champion. So that's that's a, a definite plus for them. And uh, DelVal, I mean, they played Cortland, but they didn't win that game. But this uh, the, the win against Kings gives them a regionally ranked opponent. So maybe that's what, and Stevenson gives them two regionally ranked opponents. So maybe that is helping to prop them up for now. We'll have to see how long that lasts. 
You talk about Cortland, let's go to Region 2. Cortland at the top of the list, Grove City, Ithaca. Look at the Ithaca's strength of schedule, 718. Now, it will drop with their opponent this week, yeah. but then they still have Cortland, so it will go back up a yeah. little bit. It'll probably level off around 640 or so is my guess, uh, but that's still superior for a 10-game football yeah. season. Johns Hopkins, no slouch either at 662 with Dickinson still to play. Muhlenberg mm-hmm. is showing up, Susquehanna. In Union, and you ask yourself what's missing and what's here a couple times in terms of conferences. The NJAC, gone completely, not there. There's two teams from the Liberty League, as Union and Ithaca are both there. Ithaca obviously winning mm-hmm. the Pool A bid, and Johns Hopkins and Muhlenberg also here. But you can see the conundrum forming in terms of who the Pool C teams will be, or the team that will be number one on the board from Region 2. It's going to be Union based on the fact they have the regional ra- regionally ranked opponent named Springfield that they beat on top of Ithaca. And, you know, we'll see if RPI uh, ever makes their way into this list. But having those two gives them a little bit of an advantage over Muhlenberg with just the loss to Johns Hopkins ultimately on the li- on this list. What, are your thinking? what is your thinking, excuse me? Well, you know, other than the fact that there should be a couple more teams on this list, uh, Brockport got snubbed. They're a one-loss team that lost by one point to Susquehanna on a, one of the another one of the most miraculous plays we've ever seen, uh, let alone the the Will Legere one. Um, Carnegie Mellon, who was probably one of one or two teams in the entire country last season, who actually was able to play with North Central and uh, actually had a lead on them for a while for, for which you know most teams can't even can't even fathom um, they got they they got left off this list I mean RPI obviously same record as Union uh, but yeah this region 2 is going to be a real problem um, for themselves uh, it's kind of their their own making and so far it does look like the um, the at least the initial you know rack rankings are really going to be leveraged towards the regionally ranked opponents Grove City is 9-0, but it doesn't seem like they're going to be giving the pack much other respect because of the, the 10 conference game situation. Now, for those wondering why there weren't nine teams ranked in Region 2, as would have been the idea with the 20% rule, J.P. Williams, who is the liaison from the NCAA for the football committee, wrote to me uh, as I asked him today, related to ranking 20%, that was terminated following the COVID year for a couple reasons, specifically D3 team sports with 10 regions, committees, uh, 10, 10 regions. The committees were uh, ranking too many teams and calls were taking upwards of three hours. So in the summer of 2022, governance structure approved seven teams per region would be ranked in all team sports. I, 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 I struggle with the idea that you're going to not rank what I would call the fair number of teams with larger regions because the calls were taking too long. I, I, I don't get that. I think that if you go into this committee structure on the racks, you bargained for the fact that you may have to have some calls that take a little bit longer as you sort out the teams. Yeah. And it's taking away regionally ranked opponents from Region 2 especially, and some Region 1 teams that might cross yeah. over. Because, again, this is a very regional sport. It is. It, it, we've tried to avoid that fact. We've tried to change that. We've had some teams that have budgets to do it fly out to other teams. But let's mm-hmm. face it. In Region 2, you don't need to necessarily play teams in Region 3, 4, 5, and 6. You just don't because there are enough no. teams in Region 2 to fill your schedule. And you often have yep. larger conferences. 
So this does play, and JP and I had a little back and forth about this, and we're going to have another call next week uh, to discuss some things generally, and I appreciate that from him. Mm -hmm. But I truly believe, after watching this for years, Region 2 is at a disadvantage because of the way they're ranking right now. If there were two more regionally ranked teams, then you would have a better advantage, not even an advantage, you'd have inequality. I think this also hurts... Region two and seeding later on too. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, there's just you know with six conferences and a lot of great teams in them. It's just it, yeah, they're they're at a disadvantage when you think of the fact that there are only four teams in region three. There's only four teams in region four, and you know, and so on and so forth. So yeah, I mean, I mean at the end of the day, there's there has to be some kind of modification made to accommodate that. We we already kind of know what the deal is with with region one. Um, but Region 2 is getting a bit of a, of a, sh- a short end of the stick here, to say the least. Yeah, we should also bring up the ECFC had zero teams in the uh, Region 1. Not a surprise there because they're yeah. all four-loss yeah, teams, no. basically, or worse. Uh, so yep. uh, let's go to Region 3. Uh, and when you said four teams, you meant four conference winners is what four you were referring yeah. to. Right. Yep. So yep. Uh, Bellhaven uh, from the USA South. Uh, look at that horrible strength of schedule, though. I guess it goes up at uh, the time they play uh, Brevard. But, wow. Yeah. Uh, Barry, their strength of schedule suffering also here. Bridgewater uh, is, uh, you know, alongside here. Washington, Lee, and Randolph-Macon. So you have three teams from the ODAC. Harden-Simmons is the only ASC team. Trinity and Barry are in there uh, from the SAA and Bellhaven is the USA South team. Clearly, it's lining up to maybe put a, an ODAC team uh, as the top pool C team, and that hurts Barry. Barry, who yeah. played Trinity to the bitter end, but according to our committee chair game. this year, that score don't matter. The score don't matter, mm-hmm. okay? They're just going to get an 0-1 in their regionally ranked opponents, I, I, Matt and Doesn't the committee, pass the eye test. I'm going to tell you flat out, this right here tells you why that's a bunch of bull, you know what, to t- say that a result does not include a score. It does, okay? Because if Barry is playing Trinity to a touchdown game, okay, we're not talking about blowouts or anything like that. So tell me about Washington and Lee and Randolph making it at that point, okay? Because that wasn't even close. And yet, are we going to start yeah. edging teams up that way? That doesn't make sense. We're trying to find the best teams that didn't win their conferences. For the love of God, you have to include statistics that are available <laughs> to you. You have to. If you don't, then you're going to get pairwise in here, and pairwise is a bunch of garbage for football. It is garbage for football. Yeah. If, if folks yeah. want to hear my dissertation on that, we'll do another show another day on it. But yeah. there's Region 3. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing Go I'll ahead. add about Region 3, Frank, is, um, you know, Trinity, who for a while we thought has had the potential of being a number one seed. If you look at this now, especially with Mary Harden-Baylor falling out of the picture, um, their resume is going to look a lot more average, and their seeding could be impacted. They're not going to probably be the head of a pod, so they're not going to be hosting all the way through as far as maybe they think. So that, that loss... Um, to UMHB definitely impacted them as well. They're a one-in-one uh, team, or I guess maybe a two-in-one if you include uh, Barry in the list, but still uh, the, five tw- the 526 
isn't going to help their cause, they're going to definitely end up being a lower seed because of it. Yeah, they could actually be traveling to Abilene in the first round, Trinity. Yeah, that, That's how possibly. bad this whole situation turned out for them because of UMHB kind of crapping out here uh, toward the end with the Harden-Simmons game. Yep. So that would be a rematch of the first round game last year, don't forget. Yeah, Region 4, let's go to it. Uh, we're looking at Alma, DePaul, Hope, John Carroll, Marietta, Mount Union, and Mount St. Joseph. What really makes me laugh is look at Hope's strength of schedule. When do numbers lie? Sometimes here. Because the 632 strength of schedule on a 7-2 and two Hope team just doesn't seem right. My guess is that that drops over the next couple of weeks with who their opponents are. Yeah. Or, well, I only have one opponent left. So it ain't going to drop too far. But that's just a weird number for a conference that we know isn't that, okay? It's a good conference, yeah. not a great conference. Not to the tune well, of 632. Well, I think I see... So it's probably due to the fact that they lost to Aurora in week one. I mean, it was 38 yeah. to 17, so not too bad, but that's that's what's lifting them up. And they also beat Mount St. Joseph, um, who is a conference. So that, that that may be the reason why they're getting a little boost here normally than, than, than they otherwise would have. But with games against... Um, well, they only have one more game left. They're playing Trine this weekend, and that's it. So... Trine is a three and one conference and five and three overall team, so that'll bring it down. But it does seem like Not Aurora much. and the Mount St. Joe's is going to you know, keep them up there. Five and three is six twenty-five, uh, basically. So it really won't do much to it. Uh, it might even out with mm. the uh, opponents' opponents' winning percentage. Uh, usually, those things yeah. even out closer to five hundred. But still, I mean, that's that's crazy to me. Uh, John Carroll belongs there, obviously, with their game against Mount Union still to come. Uh, DePaul, but no Wabash. It'll be interesting if Wabash can beat DePaul in Week 11. It will flip a lot of yeah. things around here, ultimately. So a lot to be written still in Region 4. Region 5, we're going to go right to here. Augustana and Wheaton and North Central are all ranked from the uh, CCIW. Three Central, Poe, and Wartburg are all ranked from the ARC. So three teams in each of those. Aurora from the NAC. And then you're missing entirely the Midwest Conference, thanks to Lake Forest losing. So the one-loss team yep. in Lake Forest, not ranked. And uh, then you have the two-loss team of Central ranked with only a 541. Uh, I guess Lake Forest is below that, well below that probably, uh, if I'm not even looking here with their strength of schedule. But yep. there are not many outstanding teams in Region 5, and they're basically going to the CCIW here kind of saying... Well, we'll see how this plays out with the Augustana factor still to play out there. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. Uh, what are you seeing there? I mean, the ARC with three teams also. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's this three-team pattern, and there's a, uh, the racks seem to be just following chalk. They're, they're sort of picking specific conferences with anchors like a North Central, the defending national champion. Um, you may notice that their in-division record is 7-0. and That's because they played Roosevelt in, in week one. And so, you know, but otherwise, you know, they'll, they'll still end up being the number one overall seed, assuming things go to plan, um, even with their strength of schedule and, and other you know, numbers. But, yeah, nothing really jumps out to me here in, in Region 5 other than the fact that it's still, you know, three teams from popular conferences, you know, strong conferences, 
Uh, Wheaton being on the board is interesting because we've kind of thought from day one that they might be kind of an automatic selection um, for for the committee uh, because of how they play uh, North Central most years. This year wasn't a, a close game, but they, you know, well, we'll have to wait and see. Wheaton is, is one of the bigger X factors here for me um, on whether or not they'll get selected. Region 6, this is very interesting to me how this one starts stacking up because you have the three Wisconsin teams at the end of this, Lacrosse River Falls and Whitewater. You have two Mayak teams in St. John's and Bethel, and you have two Northwest Conference teams in Linfield and Whitworth. No UMAC teams, no Skyak teams in this list. So the question really becomes, what happens if River Falls beats Lacrosse? And the answer becomes ugly mm. because how do you start differentiating lacrosse of Whitewater? Look at that strength of schedule on Whitewater, 713. And yeah. I get lacrosse would be only what, probably six and two in in division ultimately if they lose to River Falls. So yeah. that six and two versus an, a nine and one Whitewater team. How do you match it up? Who goes first? Then throw in a St. John's team at eight and two with that pretty meteoric strength of schedule as well. And then stack them up against a Muhlenberg team, whoever you put up on that table against Muhlenberg, and nine and one ultimately. Somebody's getting screwed here, folks. Somebody's gonna get screwed big time eh, from their perspective. And it's gonna be actually a couple or a few somebody's uh, here because with chalk winning as much as it is, when they're gonna have to go and consider a two lost team because of strength of schedule, I, it's not easy. It's not easy to make these comparisons for sure. And no. again, pairwise wouldn't settle this, trust me, yeah, very easily. It would probably pick some wacky results. But long yeah. story short, if River Falls beats the cross, that's chaos because it throws a bubble kind of in the air. If River Falls loses, Lacrosse wins the conference most likely, and Whitewater gets a pool C bid without a doubt. Okay? That's yep. easy. I think it would become Whitewater. I think it would become Union. And then from there, you start questioning what's left. Wheaton? Probably Wheaton still. I, I think, you know, you got to kind of take into consideration Wheaton's win earlier in the uh, you know, whole thing against uh, Bethel well, earlier in the season. There's still so many things that could go awry, though, Frank. Cause like, and we'll talk about it more on Friday. Because, like, what if Brockport beats Cortland and then Cortland beats Ithaca? I mean, that'll blow up everything up, too. Because then, you know, Cortland would have a good argument for a Pool C bid, which would probably knock out the winner of the RPI Union game. It would knock out potentially other people from or other programs from other regions. There's still a lot of stuff that's up in the air. It could, it's going to be really interesting to see how this shakes out. Yeah, I, I mean, again, the committee's got a thankless job, and they could probably do themselves some favors if they did rank nine in Region 2 and eight in Region 6 to sort of build better yeah. resumes ultimately because what they're doing in stacking, you know, three teams and three teams and three teams, I've never seen that before, and I, I really am not sure I like it because it's not paying homage to the fact that some conferences are stacked differently. They just are. And, yeah. you know... Yeah. What what? Why are you completely leaving some out that even have a one-loss team? Not so sure. But okay, leave that alone for a second. As you said, with chalk winning, what happens if upsets start suddenly, and what happens to the bubble? 
uh, it's late for that to start happening, but it could. And then what changes ultimately from these rankings? We'll see next week as the rankings will come in with numbers on them, and that will be just days before the final week of the regular season. Final thoughts on week nine? You know, I think, you know, we got to see one of the all-time great football games at any level um, this weekend, and so that was amazing. Um, You know, we saw a pretty big upset in Texas, which hasn't happened in eight years. So, I mean, 23 is living up to, I mean, we thought 22 was one of the better D3 football seasons, but so far, uh, 2023 has, has definitely pulled its own weight and has been really providing some amazing games. We've got two more weeks to go. We've got a lot of bowl games that will be coming up for the teams that don't make it into the tournament of the top 32. Um, we'll have to wait and see how those shake out. It will start um, with week 10. We'll go live on Friday, tell you about week 10 a little bit more. Uh, we kind of know where I'm going. We'll uh, see where we go with that uh, game and uh, our interviews uh, for that. And who knows, maybe we'll have an even more exciting ending in Cortland on Saturday. Stay tuned, folks. A lot to come here in these last two regular season weeks in Division Three college football. We'll be there for you. See you Friday.